American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Let's get rolling, baby. All right, ready? Yeah. Okay. Welcome, Welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of, of American, American Timelines. Time I'm Amy. And I'm Disco Joe. I'm rocking and rolling. I'm strutting and strolling. I'm thin. I'm hearty. I'm going to come to your dinner party. Okay. Are you, is it, are you a morning DJ or something? I'm a morning DJ. I'm Disco Joe. Beow, I'm beow, rocking beow. and rolling. Strutting and strolling. I got, like Paul Simon, I got diamonds on the soles of my shoes, and I'm always rhyming on time, and I got a cold brew. All right. I'm Disco Joe. I'm ready to rock and roll. Hey, wake up. For your morning commute. Good morning for your morning commute. We're going to get wild out there. There's always a boing. I know there always is. It's true. Boing. That's going to be our new thing from now on. Boing. Think of boner sound. And thanks for joining us. That was episode 40. Yep. Is this episode 40? Yeah, it's time to go. That's it. That's all the time oh we have. Oh, my God. Episode 40. I think it's episode 40. Well, let's get started. Let's yeah, get let's ready to roll. Right so this back. is a pop culture yeah. history podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, you know what we, it is? You know what it is? I me, think here's the problem. Go ahead. What? Go ahead. Okay. This is Say a, your spiel, and I'll, uh, I'll critique it. This is a pop culture history podcast where we explore pop culture history, weird, wacky, wild things that have happened year by year, and this year... Or this day, we are talking about the year 1975. Yeah, we're in a 75. But I think the thing is, I'm, I'm afraid our description doesn't it doesn't do it justice. I think when people listen, they're like, oh, oh, crap, that's really interesting. So we need to focus on the, it's not just history. Like, we're not covering history right. year by year. Because we tell people, hey, we're going to talk about history. They're like... I don't want to, nobody, I thought we didn't need to know dates. Like, yeah. nobody wants to know history, but it's it's not the stupid, boring stuff that's in legislature. Right, of or course. Or in your textbook. It's right. Good, it's the crazy, weird shit that happened that you didn't hear about. Think of it as things that would have gone viral if there was a YouTube. Yes. Or if there was the internet. Things that would have been Twitterized if there was a Twitter. Okay. Maybe glad, that's glad we, we figured that out. Maybe we need to call it that. Glad we cleared so we'll that up. Because the things we talk about are crazy shit that happened. And that's then true. pop songs. So what's the first? Well, if you if you just just to just to put perspective on what, what the world was like, you know, we left seventy four with Helen Reddy as number one song yeah. with our only good song, Angie. Angie Baby, you remember how awesome yeah. that song was? Helen Reddy's well, the best. Awesome. I no, it was know. awesome. Helen Reddy is yeah. the greatest. I take back everything I said bad about her. She was gr- that song made me feel better. Okay. About everything about her. But so that was the number one song. Christmas was over and we're entering a new year. It's New Year's Day. Everybody's waking up with hangovers from partying in the seventies. That's doing right. All kinds of crazy drugs and who knows who they were sleeping with. Everybody's covered in sex juices and they're waking up. The next morning, all <laughs> feeling terrible. Where were you in the 70s? With tight pants on. Jeez. I wasn't born yet. I wasn't born yet. Um, but they were entering a new era. They were entering the year that the mood ring was invented. Yes. Uh, the mood ring was not invented yet. It was about to be um, made of specialized liquid crystal thermometer. Uh, that's what makes the things makes change. Makes it change. Yep. Um, 
I always wondered what made it. I figured it was your body heat, but. Yeah, it was. We're entering a world where the top TV shows were going to be all in the family. Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man, The Jeffersons, and MASH. Sweet. We're entering the year Ric Flair made his rookie. He was the rookie of the year. Pro Wrestling's rookie of the year was Ric Flair. His rookie. He was that old man's a rookie. Yeah. The ring tab beer and soda can design was discontinued in 1975. Oh. Because injuries were caused by people swallowing the metal tabs. Yeah. (laughs) Idiots. (laughs) A high number. Everyone had. I feel like those ring tabs were around a lot longer than that. They were discontinued in 75. But don't you remember them in your lifetime? I, I do, but because, but you know, like, everybody's uncle had a few beer cans left over from 74 from se- or 75, <laughs> probably. that was it? Because I, re- I feel like I remember them um, into the 80s having those. I don't think so. They were discontinued in 75. Because but I do remember every- them all over the ground all the time. Yeah, so, I mean, December- New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1974, like 90% of the population had ring tabs in their stomachs or in their esophagus because yeah. everybody swallowed them. Like everybody, everybody swallowed, them. swallowed them. People at work swallowed them. Everyone was swallowing them, so they had to get rid of them. I mean, we're entering a year where, uh, 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 let's see, the, the laser printer was invented. Okay. Um, we're entering a time when uh, the, the popular s- slogans and sayings were, Let's see if you know any of these. Don't leave home without it. Yeah. What's that? Um, is it like Allstate or something? American Express. Oh, American Express. Yeah. The ultimate driving machine. You know what that is? That rings a faint. That bell. came out in 1975. BMW is the ultimate oh, driving okay. machine. Uh, we answer to a higher authority. I don't remember that. Hebrew National. Oh. Okay. The hot dog. Oh. It's all about how they. Because they were kosher or something. Yeah, yeah. And the commercial basically says, oh, hey, the FDA says we can give you frozen gross meat that's not even inspected at all. But we don't want to because we, we answer to a higher authority. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame yep. seed bun. Big Mac. The Big Mac. They started saying that song that yeah. we saw a commercial. Yeah. We watched some commercials. We did. Um, this, w- this was what you heard on TV. Uh, Mick Jagger was quoted as saying, I'd rather be dead than sing Satisfaction when I'm 45. <laughs> and he said that at age 33. And now he's like 80 and he's singing it. Yeah. 1975 was the year that uh, you can't find any U.S. quarters with the number the year 1975 on it. What? Because uh, the commemorative 1976 bicentennial quarters were being minted early in oh. anticipation of collectors snatching the coins from circulation. So all quarters... From 75 and 76 were dated as 76 to 19, 1776 to 1976. So there's no 1975 there's no 1975 quarters. quarters. Actually, I had a couple uh, collector's items that were 1975 quarters, <laughs> and um, they were in plastic. And I just noticed somebody <laughs> cut them out of the plastic and used them, and now they're in circulation. So some lucky bastard is going to have a couple of those and be a millionaire. Well, it was the Tooth Fairy night, and I didn't you have You gave any, it to our kids for the goddamn Tooth Fairy? Money. What was I supposed to do? you got to put something under the pillow. Not a fucking collector's coin that's worth a million dollars. It's not worth a million dollars. And our daughter probably used it for goddamn... Starburst at school or some kind of Skittles candy. Yeah, she probably did. Oh, God bless it. I even yelled at her. I thought she did it. So I yelled you at did? her for that. What did she say? She said, I didn't do that. Uh, she, but she said that. She says that about everything. Yeah. Um, also, uh, January 1st, a Playboy's. Well, I don't know if it's January 1st, but I just put this there because I don't have a. I couldn't find a date. But All Playboy's. Right. Playboy Magazine's annual opinion poll. Mm hmm. Uh, 
came out, and its readers voted Karen Carpenter the mm -hmm. best rock drummer of the year. Oh, my God. Outvoting Led Zeppelin's John Bonham. What? Much to everyone was shocked. Karen Carpenter better than John Bonham. Right. How about okay. that? Take that, Me Too movement. Suck it. Oh, my God. Clearly, <laughs> clearly insulted, John Bonham quipped, she couldn't last 10 minutes with a Zeppelin number. And then she died of anorexia. Well, he, that made her die. Like She stopped eating because he said that. No, that's not true. But Carpenter was more than capable on her instrument, though. So, um, so you know, people were probably upset because she was a lady. That's probably part of yeah, it. Yeah. And sure women, it women were not known for being drummers. It wasn't common. It wasn't even cool. I didn't even know she was, was a drummer. Karen Carpenter. Yeah, she was. She was good, I think. Um, at the time, no other female drummer had reached the same level of prominence or achieved as much worldwide acclaim. Yet there was Maureen Moe Tucker of the groundbreaking Velvet Underground. But despite its long-lasting influence, the Velvet Underground didn't come close to the commercial success of the Carpenters. But I also read somewhere where she, after John Bonham said she couldn't last a minute with Led Zeppelin, she mm -hmm. actually learned a bunch of Led Zeppelin songs. Oh, really? And there was some recording somewhere of her just rocking the shit out of it. And what? she was awesome, yeah. Really? I, I don't. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it, but that's that's all rumor and innuendo. So we don't know if that's true. Is didn't Sly and the Family Stone have a female drummer too, or no? They had a female on something that was not. There was a lady in that. Yeah, group. she was. I but thought she maybe. was a drummer, but maybe not. Maybe you're thinking of Sheena Easton. No, I know I'm not. Or Sheila E. I, I, which one's which? Sheena Easton, Sheila E. Which one's the one that drums? Sheila E. Okay, I get those two mixed up only because they both sang with Prince. Did Sheena Easton sing with Prince? I think one of them sang, your body's heck is slamming, right? You got the look. That was Sheila E. Was Sheila E? Yeah. And the drummer? Yeah. Oh, maybe Sheena Easton didn't. Who's Sheena Easton then? She sang, my baby takes the money. Yeah, I think she did heck is slamming. She got red hair? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she sang the, you she got did? the look. Yeah. Oh. Think, God damn it! No, I always got no. We got a up. bunch of people yelling at the at the. We'll podcast. look it up. We'll look it up. Yeah, we're gonna have to do that. Let's look it up right now so we can just avoid this problem. Okay. What are you gonna type in? Type, 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 type sounds. Actually, it's a common Google because Prince, you got the look, female singer. It's Roxette. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I guess she's got the look. It's a different thing. It's um, it's a white chick with red hair. It just shows a picture. Well, okay. I know what Sheena Easton looks like. Sheena Easton, I thought, was an African-American lady. No, Sheena Easton is not. She's Australian. No. Oh, she's Scottish. Or Scottish, that's right. Okay, that's Sheena Easton. Oh, it was Sheena Easton? It was Sheena Easton. Is that who Yeah, I, I didn't know was? that. But no, you thought it was Sheila E. I thought it was Sheila E. Sheila E's the drummer, though. Yeah. Sheena Easton's the Scottish lady. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sheena Easton. Oh, it was. See? Is that a picture? Oh, I thought it was Sheila E. See? Sheena Easton. Oh, yeah. And then she, but Sheila E did something with Prince, too. Okay. But they both, they both have E and Sheila Sheena names. So I know. I, I get it. I get okay. your. I'm glad you understand why. I'm, I'm glad we went on this trip together. But we already talked about this back in the 80s. I know we did. <laughs> and we, we still don't forgot. remember. God, we got to stop doing meth. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, my teeth are falling out because of it. Anyway, wait, why did we talk about what were we. Oh, so, yeah, Karen Carpenter is better and she could shred. Except shredding isn't on, a, on the drums, on the. 
guitar, I guess. But yeah. she could tear up a good drum set. Um, and here's another thing that also doesn't really have a, a date. It happened throughout 75, so I'm just going to go ahead and cover it now because right. it, it kind of, there's no drop-dead date for this. Okay. Bob Chandler, a former construction worker. Do you know Bob Chandler by any chance? No. Okay. Because he was a former construction worker from the St. Louis, Missouri area. Um, more more uh, specifically, uh, Ferguson. No, really? Yeah. Uh, he began building the first Bigfoot in 1975 using the Chandler family's 1974 F-250 four-wheel drive. And he found that automotive shops in the Midwest. Oh, Bigfoot car. Bigfoot truck. Yeah, monster. This is the first I monster truck. I thought he truck. was building a Bigfoot No, the first monster, monster truck. Uh, shops in the Midwest didn't carry the parts he needed to repair his frequently wrecked 4x4. To remedy this problem, he and his wife, Marilyn, along with friend Jim Kramer. Do you know Jim Kramer? No. They opened up a shop called Midwest Four-Wheel Drive and Performance Center in Ferguson, Missouri. Do you know where that no. is? No. I thought you were from Ferguson. I was from Ferguson, oh. but I don't remember that. The shop moved to Hazelwood, Missouri in 1984. My mom would probably was? remember this, maybe. Uh, but that remained Bigfoot's headquarters until 2015 when they reloc- relocated to Pacific, Missouri. Okay. So he made the first monster truck. Uh, the truck's first attention-grabbing modification came when he heard of an idea proposed to the U.S. Army of making steering capable on both axles of their four-wheeled vehicles. So that even of breakage in the front axle, it could simply be switched with the rear axle and held straight with a pin so that the vehicle could resume regular use with steering. Okay. So he invented the first 4x4x4. Four by four by four. What is that, tractor tires they put on those? and four-wheel steering. Um yeah, but I think this is all on the steering first before they got to be gigantic. But oh, okay. That was the monster truck. That's how monster truck started. Fascinating. And also, the United States Gold Reserve Act of 1934 outlawed most private possession of gold, forcing U.S. citizens to sell it to the Treasury. Americans could not freely own and trade gold again until 1975. What? Yeah. Did you know that? No. Isn't that weird? That is weird. It really makes you feel like it's just a minute ago. I we know. Were in the gold rush and the... And the crazy... Well, it was because of the war, right? Yeah. It's not the gold rush. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I'm saying it's the United States Gold Reserve Act of 1930. Oh, it, was, oh, they, it wouldn't let people because of the war is what you're saying. Yeah. But, um, but just... Yeah, I don't know what I was talking about. I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> either. It's like gold rush. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> Americans could not freely own trade and trade gold again, but they could. Yeah, I was, I don't know. You were off on La La Land. The 49ers. What? That, that's eight, not. The 1849ers? That's not. It was the 1749ers. It's not even. No, it has nothing to do with that at nothing all. Nothing at all. Gold. There was gold. Gold in both stories, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, just like MC Hammer's. <laughs> he had gold. Rolled gold pretzels. No, I don't know what I was even thinking about. No, this. I don't I either. was kind of like half listening to myself as I was reading it, I guess. So I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> You didn't know I was going to call you on it, I guess. Well, yeah. I, sometimes you just go with me on things. Yeah. Um, and then we have our first new number one song of 1975, Elton John. You want to guess? Oh, that Philadelphia heat. Freedom. Nope, you were wrong. It's not Philadelphia Freedom. Well, he had a bunch shitload of he did. number ones. This is when Elton John just started fucking 
coming into out. Pro- prominence, tearing yeah. it up. He was in a movie. He starred in a movie. He was. You'll see. He connived to get the part. Um, <laughs> I Lucy, can't wait. Lucy in the I sky with diamonds. Oh yeah. So I he did, redid this song. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know he did that. Yeah, he did. And this, I think, all was part of the whole bet. Remember last year we talked about. He sang, uh, he helped John Lennon with uh, whatever gets you through the night. And oh, he said, yeah. this is going to be number one. John Lennon was like, no, this is shit. It's not going to be. And he said, I'll make you a bet. If you, if you, uh, if this goes number one, like I think it will, then you have to perform with me and do oh. some recording and stuff. And John Lennon was like, okay. And John Lennon lost. And so uh, John Lennon. Let him, you do Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Well, yeah. I mean, he actually recorded. He did background vocals. Oh, he did on this with him. Yeah, so um, yeah, Elton John did a cover of it, uh, and yeah, John Lennon sang background vocals and played guitar on it um, with him. So, and you, if you listen to it, you 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 can tell like it's sounds oh, yeah. really, it's it's really good. It sounds yeah. good, and you can tell it's John Lennon on there with him. So it's kind of cool, um, but he didn't use his name. He used his name. Uh, used his pseudonym, Doctor Winston O'Boogie. <laughs> uh, Winston was John Lennon's middle name. So okay. I don't know if uh, my mom called me earlier and said, "Hey, I remember all this stuff in the seventies. You don't know what you're talking about. I lived it. I remember it. You're a dumbass." Yeah. But mom, I bet you didn't know that. She probably did. She knew you everything know, about John Lennon. I bet she didn't know Doctor Winston O'Boogie. I don't maybe know. If she, she knows she everything. Probably did. She well, probably. What I'll do is I'm going to call her after this, like maybe tomorrow, and I'll try to record it. Yeah. And say, "Mom, did you know that?" And I'll. Right there, because um, maybe she did. Because I mean, she's got a hundred books about him and everything. But here's the other cool thing. I, but don't I, tell her before you record it. Like, don't I tell won't. her the question. And don't tell so her. So you get an honest reaction. Oh yeah, and I won't tell her I'm recording. Well, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> She'll be like, she by be. the way, Grandma's a cunt. I can't live with her anymore. <laughs> I think she'll say that even, she's she'll, she's even recording. though she knows I'm recording. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, you went for it on that one. You just dropped the <laughs> C word. I think that just makes us even, that just changes our rating to an NC-17 or something. Mm, sure. I would never say that word. You know, in like Australia, they use that freely. Yeah, to everybody's a cunt. Everybody's a cunt. Everybody, I can hardly say that because I'm just so aware of how people don't like that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they say everybody's a cunt. Everybody's a chunt. Over there. With six T's. Um. That's from Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is a podcast that uh, by Earwolf that I can't stop listening to. So if you like stupid, ridiculous podcasts, listen to that one. Um, All right. But one thing I, I discovered with this, this song was recorded at Caribou Ranch. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? Caribou Ranch. No. Do you know what that is? No. So I was like, it just said, well, it was recorded at Caribou Ranch. Like, like you should know what that is. Yeah. And I noticed in Wikipedia, this is where I found all this. That it was underlined, so that means oh, there's some information about yeah. Caribou Ranch. So I clicked it, and it's kind of a famous recording studio. Over 150 artists recorded at Caribou. Okay. Caribou was in uh, somewhere in the mountains, like of Colorado, somewhere. Um, Billy Joel, Carol King, Chicago, Dan Fogelberg, David Casty, Deep Purple, Earth, Wind, and Fire, wow. Dio, Eddie Rabbit, Frank Zappa, Jeff Beck, Jerry Lee Lewis. Has, John Denver has to be in there. John list. Denver, Chris Christopherson, yeah. Michael Jackson, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Peter Frampton, Phil Collins, Rick Derringer, Rod Stewart, Sheena Whoa. Easton, Steely Dan, Stevie Nicks, Steven, Steven Stills, Super Tramp, The Beach Boys, Tom Petty, U2, War, Waylon Jennings, and more. 
All those people. All those. Wow. Uh, and That's it was star studded. Yeah, star studded uh, recording studio, and um, so it burned down. Uh, I had a thing about what it. Must We're have, going down a rabbit hole here. Anyway, yeah, I know. So the I got too far into it. I was like, oh my god, this place burned down in like in the eighties or something, and then it. And they tried to revive it a couple different times, but finally, in January 2015, they sold it, and they, it, was, it was in Denver, somewhere in Denver. Um, uh, but the remaining rock and roll memorabilia, memorabilia was auctioned off. Over $800,000 was raised from more than 100, uh, 1,500 bidders. Um, the items sold included a baby grand piano used by Elton John, Frank Zappa, and Michael Jackson. Wow. Which sold for $52,000. Uh, Hammond organ and Leslie speakers used by Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Stephen Stills, and Rod Stewart. Uh, that's sold for over 11000 President Grover Cleveland's bed used by many artists, what? including Elton John, Michael Jackson, and Jerry Lee Lewis. That sold for $11,000. I don't know why. I don't know why. The Grover what? Cleveland's Grover bed. Grover Cleveland's bed? <laughs> I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. This is according to Wikipedia. So maybe somebody, a jokester, got in there and edited that. But that's yeah. what it says. And then 1985 black Corvette with custom caribou plates, which was often used by celebrities visiting the ranch. Val Kilmer drove the Corvette during his run in Hamlet at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival in 1988. Wow. Corvette sold for $10,625. Okay. And a, a Victorian horn chair from the recording studio game room. So I don't know why that's that's not significant. But um, so it sounded like when people went up there to record, it was just like a mountain town where there's nothing yeah. else to do. Nobody and knew anybody. Smoke and... a bunch of pot and, and all the celebrities went there to record. That's where the money is. Make a recording studio, man. Everybody will come to you. I guess so. That's the way to do it, man. Let's do it. Let's start a recording studio. You want to? Okay. Well, maybe this. This room right here that we're recording our podcast in. I don't think that. A lot of people tell me, like, I can tell you firsthand it's not very comfortable. That's fine. A lot of people are like, hey, that sounds like a professional studio. You no, guys sound they do unbelievable. Not. Nobody's saying that. Yeah, they're saying, is that a professional studio? I'm like, no, it's my kid's playroom. No, nobody said that. They didn't? No. Not any, one not guy. even one, Jeff, not even one. Jeff, the bartender. No, he didn't say. He said something. it sounded fine. It sounded fine is different from saying it sounded like a professional well, podcast. He doesn't know what a podcast is. Oh, okay, so that <laughs> he doesn't understand podcasts. So he's on episode one of ours right now. Oh he's boy, only, he's twenty minutes into it, and he's like, I don't really understand what a podcast is, but it sounds fine to me. It sounds fine to me is a lot different from that sounds very professional, like okay, a professional maybe podcast. I, maybe I stretch, maybe I exaggerate a little bit. Sounds fine to me. Jeff doesn't even have any hair. He's just a bald guy. He loves the Panthers and he's a bartender. Okay. So his opinions, he's... he's Joe, I don't know what his hair has to do with anything. He's everyday Joe American. He's a nice fella. What's next? He's just always in a good mood. I like that guy. Shout out to Jeff. You won't hear this for a while because you're on No, I know. We won't hear this for quite a while. You'll hear this. Uh, if he sticks I'll with be, it. I'll be dead by the time he hears this. Yep. Well, he can't figure out how to listen to podcasts in his car. He doesn't know how to plug his oh. phone in. He's like, I'm sure he can do it. I just don't know how to do it. This is a fascinating story <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, this will be more exciting. How about the premiere of wheel of fortune on nbc oh. the first time it was ever on was monday january 6th 1975 can you imagine those two people I, was vanna white on it originally i don't think so because uh uh chuck woolery was the original host oh he was i was gonna make you guess that but i didn't i just yeah, said you it didn't. i wouldn't have ever guessed that but there was a problem in 75 it was it did really well 
And daytime well, people radio in the hours. 70s were all about game shows. Oh, game show city, baby. Game shows were everything in the 70s. But Chuck Willard, there was a problem. Chuck Willard was like, yo, yo, we're doing great. We're doing way better than Family Feud. I need to be making that Richard Dawson money, bitch. Oh. I want made- that Richard Dawson money. I want them Richard Dawson dollars, them long dollars, and you know this. Richard Dawson. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> That's your, like, so Merv Griffin, the pinnacle of your career is Richard Dawson. That's what Dawson. he said. I want them Richard Dawson long dollars. Yeah. No, Dawson no. Doe, the Dawson Greenbacks, and Merv Griffin offered to increase his salary to $400,000. Yep. However, Wooler refused to take less than 500000 Oh, so Merv Griffin said, bye-bye. Well... NBC offered to pay Woolery the other hundred thousand, but Griffin was Merv Griffin was fucking pissed. He was like, "No, oh, no. you don't fucking play Merv Griffin. No. I'm the motherfucking." My cousin Merv. Katie met Merv Griffin. Really? Yep. Did she sleep with him? No. She said that he's super gay. What? Super gay. Merv Griffin, super oh, gay. Oh yeah. Oh well, good for him. Big time gay. Did she? Does she have proof? She no, said he had a little dog. Oh, he did. He had a little dog that was. I have two little dogs. Came over to her and he he said something like, "Oh, my dog must like you." And she said, "Oh, it must be the bacon I have in my pocket." Your, your cousin carries bacon in her pocket. No, she was telling a joke. <laughs> Good. <laughs> get it? I get it. You're that's terrible. Not that great joke, Katie. Sorry. Hey, that's pretty swift to Katie, say. In, I'm sorry, in the, Katie. When you're meeting a celebrity, Katie, you can't listen to our podcast anymore. Stop it. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Woolery, uh, anyway, Merv Griffin got pissed because NBC offered to pay Chuck Woolery the other $100,000, making him mm-hmm. look weak compared to Chuck Woolery. So he said, I'm taking this motherfucking show to CBS, bitches. I'm Merv Griffin. Nobody fucks with me and my little dog. Yep. But with both parties unwilling to compromise, Griffin fired Woolery and replaced him with Pat motherfucking Sajak. Oh. He said, bitch, you going to fuck with me, Woolery? Guess what I got? I got this Pat Sajak motherfucker. And that was the end of that. Yep. And Pat Sajak came out of this, this trunk. Cryo, that cryogenic keeps. chamber. <laughs> yeah, the chamber. Yeah. Like, and he was like, yeah. brains, brains. I'll host the show. And uh, Woolery's last show was on Christmas Day of 1981. Uh, oh, so he went, lasted a while. Oh, yeah. It wasn't until 81, but it was just some Wheel of Fortune uh, notable things. But did you know... That when there was a commercial break in the middle of a puzzle, mm-hmm. the contestants would be asked to turn their back so that they couldn't study the board. Oh. Because I always thought that if you just give me some time to yeah. stare at this, I'm going to figure it out. Right. But And I no. always thought, well, they're going to figure out the commercial break or whatever. I never thought of that. Well, I guess I didn't know that the commercial breaks were real. Like I thought they just said, okay, commercial break, okay, yeah, we're back. And they just right. edited it in later, but I guess not. I don't know. They probably can't, couldn't do it then or something. That's according to IMDb, so maybe that's wrong, too. And then Saturday, January 11th, uh, the, one, uh, the number one TV show that year that was All in the Family, mm-hmm. They the, on January 11th, they had an episode called... The Jeffersons move on up, and this was actually the pilot episode of The Jeffersons. Oh, but it was on. It was all, all in the, the family. family. Yeah, huh? Cool. Yeah, another spinoff. I knew that was a spinoff. Spinoff, but they did it actually during that. show. I don't remember so. seeing that episode. I don't either. But I really want to see it because there's nothing better, in my opinion, in this world than in spinoffs, this whole- sitcoms. <laughs> it's your best thing in the world. I fucking love. I'm. 
you know how I am about. I mean, that's why we're doing yeah, this podcast. I obsess over true. chronology and things like that. Like I, you are. I am probably on going the to, spectrum. Yeah, I, I mean, I've looked up the the correct order to watch Marvel movies. I mm-hmm. watch the Star Wars movies in the machete order. I know. I, I make know. the kids watch. You know, I get crazy about orders of things. And I found this Wikipedia page that has cataloged every spinoff. <laughs> Jesus. You know I'm going to watch it's them all. It's ridiculous. I'm going to watch. I'm going to have to watch them and then their spinoff series. Is yes, I know you will. Starting with Golden Palace, baby. Yep. I can't believe that exists. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I love seeing Sophia run a kitchen. Like She's a 90-year-old woman. She should be in hospice. But, <laughs> but they're making her cook meals for a hotel. She should be in hospice, god damn it. Slave labor. Poor lady. Hundred, um, and then Sunday, January twelfth, nineteen seventy-five, was the Super Bowl. Super Bowl nine. Super Bowl nine. It was the stupid, crappy Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Against the awesome Minnesota Vikings. Oh. Again. So they went. Was that two two years in a row? I don't know. Remember if it was let? Yeah, probably. They lost four. This was their third loss. Yeah. Uh, the game was played on January 12th, 1975 at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans, Louisiana. The last professional American football game played at that venue. It was going to be at the oh. Superdome, but that stadium was not completed yet. The Steelers defeated the Vikings by the score of 16-6 to to win their first Super Bowl championship. Steelers had never won. Oh, they had Bowl. never won at that point. Nope. So all the Steelers who fans who are always like well we won five well we're the best or six or something yeah. they've won like more almost more than anybody and yeah the patriots since passed them but though the steelers fans are crazy nuts and they're everywhere because they were so good in the 70s that a lot of people grew up steelers fans yeah but they have the vikings to thank for it so well there you go um a match two best defenses and two future pro hall of, hall of fame quarterbacks you want to guess who the quarterbacks are no Terry Bradshaw, yeah, with a steel curtain defense, and he he was against Fran Tarkenton. He looks like Frankenstein. And the purple people eaters. Fran Tarkenton does. No, Terry Bradshaw. No, does. Terry Bradshaw does. Do you There's know a guy named Fran. Yeah, Fran Tarkenton. There's Fran's a lot of guys a girl's named Fran. No, that's a guy's name. It's a girl's name. Oh, well, can be, but it's also a guy. Francis I'm, is a guy's name. Yeah, but that Frank is usually what they do. Well, not Fran. Don't talk about the Vikings that way. Fran Tarkenton and the purple motherfucking people eaters. I'm just saying. It's a weird name. Anyway, that was their second consecutive Super Bowl, yes, and third overall. Okay. Um, but they defeated the St. Louis Cardinals and Los Angeles Rams in the playoffs. So in your face, St. Louis. And do you want to guess what a cost of a Super Bowl ad was in 1975? No. You, know, <laughs> you don't want to guess? I don't even want to guess. You're not guessing anymore? Um, all uh, right. Let me guess. Let me all right, guess. you guess. You just looked at it. 107,000. Oh, my God, I'm right. 107,000. This is ridiculous. Well, I guessed right. You, yeah, you guessed. You looked, your eyeballs guessed right. Okay, guess who sang the national anthem? Here's a hint. It's a university band. <laughs> just what university? Uh, university of Michigan marching band. No. The University of New Orleans marching band. Nope. University of Seattle marching band. Nope. University of Missouri marching band. No, it's a state university. It's blank state university. New York State University. Nope. <laughs> All right, we're not going to play this game anymore. Guess every university. <laughs> 50 states later. It it rhymes with parambling. What? It rhymes with parambling. 
Parambling. <laughs> it rhymes with prambling. Parambling? <laughs> yeah. It's not a thing. It's not, but it rhymes with that. What? Grambling. Grambling? Grambling State University. Like I would ever have guessed that. <laughs> That's why I was making you guess. Cause oh, you're such an asshole. It's for our listeners. Our listeners no, love this. No, they don't love this. Okay, Nobody loves this. Everybody hates this. and followers, this. Instagram followers, uh, weigh in on Instagram. Tell Amy that she's wrong, that you love it when she no. when I make her guess universities it's, it's, for, for an hour. Nope. Come on, Twitter followers and Instagram followers. Hit us up. Let us know. AVAC1976, I'm looking your way. All right. What's next? Anyway, a thank you to our loyal followers, by the way. We're getting a lot more people that are commenting. and Hey, I just found your podcast. We love yeah, it. Yeah, that's thank awesome. Thank you. We love you. Tell all your friends. This is great. I don't know how you found us or why, but we like <laughs> Um. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. With, we're glad you're here with us. We're glad you're along for this crazy ride. Of 1975. Uh, this stupid married couple in their house. Uh, anyway, the Grambling State University Band sang the national anthem in 1975 at the Super Bowl okay. in New Orleans. And then Wednesday, January 15th, 1975, mm-hmm. the Miller Lite beer recipe became Miller Lite. What? Miller Lite went national. Okay. What was that? What? Miller Lite became a thing. Okay. But you know how? No. Miller Lite... I'm going to drop some beer knowledge on you, baby. Okay. Miller Lite was, it's all we drank in Chicago. We Remember we drank yeah, Miller Lite like right. crazy. It's Everywhere. all Miller Lite all the time. That's right. Miller Lite was originally sold as Gabblinger's Diet Beer. Ew, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that does sound terrible. I wouldn't want Gabblinger's Diet Beer. You mean Miller Lite? I'm like, all day. But Gabblinger's yeah. Diet Beer by New York's Rheingold Brewery in 1967. And then by Meisterbrow as Meisterbrow Lite. I remember Meisterbrow. Remember Meisterbrow Lite? It's Miller Lite. Really? Yep, that's Miller Lite. Before the recipe was sold to Miller Brewing and launched nationally as Light Beer in 1975. According to VinePair.com, mm-hmm. the true father of Light Beer was Dr. Joseph L. Owadis, a biochemist and Rheingold Brewing Company employee who, in 1967, formulated a beer with reduced carbs and calories by removing starch. Okay. And its creation was dubbed Gablinger's Diet Beer, and it flopped. <laughs> it's all in the name. Yeah. It's all in the name, people. Yeah, it is. Um, so then he shared his recipe with his friend at a Chicago-based Meister, Meisterbrow Brewery, and they launched this Meisterbrow Light, uh, targeting diet-conscious consumers. And then Meisterbrow went bankrupt in 72, and Miller swooped in for the sale of three of Meisterbrow's brands, including Meisterbrow Light. Okay. So there you go. How yeah. about that? Miller Lite. Fascinating. A little Miller Lite history for you. Okay. We're not going to, we're never going to get to March. There we are. We can cut some stuff. Yeah, I got way too much stuff. You got way too much stuff. Yours isn't until March? Yeah. Okay, Okay, I'll go quickly. Saturday, January 18th, 1975. Barry Manilow takes over the Billboard charts. Yes, with. uh, Yes. Oh, Mandy. Yes. And you gave without taking. And you gave without taking. This was originally called brandy. brandy. Oh, it really was. But they to avoid confusion with that brandy. brandy. You're yeah. a fine girl. They yeah. changed it to Mandy. And it's not about Barry Manilow's dog. That's a myth. Oh, is that what yeah. people said? People think that, I guess. Okay. Um, and then Saturday, January eighteenth, the Jefferson spinoff. 
was full go. Their own show was on Saturday, January 18th, 1975. Mm -hmm. Thursday, January 23rd, 1975. Barney Miller premiered on ABC. Okay. Friday, January 24th, 1975. Larry Fine died from the Three Stooges. Oh. Um, and they, they were working on a new show in the, seven, the early were? 70s. Yeah, the Three Stooges like got together for a show called The Kooks, and you can find it on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, Did you were, watch it? I, I didn't watch it, but I, I'm going to. I'm, like you marked it for later, but um, but then Larry Fine had a horrible stroke, and then he went into a he went into a nursing home in in Woodland Hills. Yeah, uh, it's called the Motion Picture Country House. It's like an industry retirement community. So like it's oh, where all geez. the celebrities go <laughs> when they're yeah. old. Yeah, my uh, my uncle's mom I, I think went to one of those because her my uncle's father was Hans Hall, one of the Bowery mm -hmm. boys. Yeah, um, so. And his wife uh, was in showbiz forever. She was costumed. She did costumes and things. So, yeah. So they got to go to the Screen Actors Guild nursing retirement home. home or whatever it is. So I just imagine those nursing homes with all those old, old celebrities stars. in them. Yeah, old stars. Old divas. Yep. But Mo was still alive. They'd be a still pain in the ass, wouldn't they? Oh yeah, they'd be. They'd be yeah, oh god, it'd be terrible to work there. Oh my god. Give me this. Yeah. Key grip, get me something. Free your coffee. Time for my close up. He'd be crying all the time. Anyway, Mo was still okay and he visited him a bunch of times and, mm -hmm. and would hang out with him. Um and then but Mo would die just a couple of months later. Oh. Larry and Mo died together, kinda. Yeah. Mo died of a broken heart because Larry was Probably dead. Um Saturday, January twenty fifth, nineteen seventy five, the Carpenters take over the billboard number one spot. Oh, which one was it? With was it Top, oh, please, Mr. Post. Please, Mr. Postman. Yeah. And we watched this video, this video on YouTube. Very bizarre. Yeah, it's they're at Disneyland, and they're just like singing while they're on rides. But if you watch, if you look up this video on YouTube, uh, The Carpenters, Please, Mr. Postman. It's a remake, of course. Yeah. The very last <laughs> ending shot, they're singing. There's like singing in harmony as it fades yeah. out. And the guy, who's the guy with Karen Carpenter, and who's the guy? I don't know. The other Carpenter guy. Yeah. There's a moment where they just focus on him and his eyes like trail off like he's just like, for a moment he's like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> like, really? Just, like, yeah, like for a moment <laughs> I think like, was he going to start crying or something? Like why am I even here? And they're like singing together and she's all into it. He's is just, is like, it that he has a look like that at the end? He's got this look like, fucking what am I bitch. fucking doing? Why am I'm gay. Like, I need, yeah. You know, I just. Something. I, something. Like, there's something wrong with him there. So, I oh just happened to notice that funny. today. I was watching that. So, but, I don't know. I feel like I saw that. Maybe I didn't. And then February 1st, 1975, Neil Sedaka takes over the number oh. one spot on the billboard chart. And he's wearing a white suit in this yeah. goddamn video. And uh, this well, this is a song recorded by Neil Sedaka, but, but the song was written by Phil Cody. Okay. And Cody reports writing the lyrics in about five minutes after smoking marijuana and falling asleep under a tree for a couple of hours. Oh, jeez. You know what song? No. Ooh, I hear laughter in the rain. Yep. Ooh, how I love the rainy days. That's right. Yep, yep. Something. There you go. Something, so that's something, it. Something. Neil Sadak is terrible. Yeah. Um, well, and he... It's like he's dressed up like a sex symbol, yeah. but he he's <laughs> but so he like, not. But he looks like your uncle he or does. your neighbor who's mowing his lawn. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, the weirdest, dopey thing. looking guy. Now I do want to be careful. Like you know, I've had some friends of ours write and say, "Hey, 
you really hurt my feelings when you say these songs suck and we really like them. Uh, uh, Brian McCartney loves Paper Lace, apparently. You're not listening to enough of them and stop saying things suck just because you don't like them. So, but Neil Sedaka. But Neil Sedaka sucks. sucks. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian McCartney. You probably love Neil Sedaka. <laughs> you probably got a tattoo of Neil Sedaka on his on his butthole. Inner thigh. <laughs> or his butthole. I guess I should go right for the butthole. Uh, and then Tuesday, February 4th, 1975, unusual animal behavior in China alerted Chinese officials to an imminent earthquake. So they ordered an evacuation, saving over 100,000 people. Wow. In Haichang. Is that crazy? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so the animals were like, get the fuck out. Yeah, the prediction was allegedly based on reports of changes in groundwater and soil elevations over the past several months, as well as widespread accounts of unusual animal behavior. Oh. So I looked a little deeper. I was like, what yeah. is this animal behavior? We're like dogs just freaking out. Yeah. Like our dog freaks out way before there's a yeah. thunderstorm. She does. So she predicts them, too. And then sometimes she just freaks out for no fucking reason. So that's that's right. the whole problem. You can't ever tell. Um, so some of these... Uh, Things were, let's see, I looked up, uh, rats and snakes appeared frozen on the roads. Weird. Starting in February 1975, reports of this type increased greatly. Cows and horses looked restless and agitated. Rats appeared drunk. Chickens refused to enter their coops, and geese frequently took to flight. Like, these animals. Don't geese normally take to flight? Yeah, they just always take to flight. I, I don't know how you would notice it. Yeah. Shit. But think about it. Nobody had any phones to look at. So yeah, all so they, they were, were looking, looking at, at the animals. All they were doing was watching around them. But um, That's sad. So they said... Um, sad that we don't have that anymore. There were a lot of deaths still, but it actually prevented... They think it prevented over 100,000 people. That's pretty cool. In touch with the animals. The animals. And then February 8th, 1975, the Ohio Players take over the Billboard number oh, one spot. Fire. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good song. Yeah, it's a great And if you can video. find some videos of these guys yeah. <laughs> on YouTube, <laughs> Woo! Uh, these guys are fun and funky. Yeah. Like, they're wearing crazy clothes, and they're just... They're nuts. Like, this is who I wish was still around. Like, these mm -hmm. dudes, like, should just be everywhere on every street corner. Like... Yeah. Whoops. I got beer on the keyboard. Great. Ruin the party. Well... God damn it. You have a towel? No, I don't have a fucking towel. <laughs> I guess I'll be just slurping this up off the keyboard then. Ew. <laughs> oh, that's... What are you going to do? You're disgusting. You spill beer on the keyboard. You can't leave it there. Oh, it's still on there. You don't, you don't spill it on the keyboard. But is I what did, you do. But I already have. There's you don't do. be a fucking pig about but, everything but I all have. the time. So what do I do? Do I get up and get a napkin or do I just Get up and get a fucking it? napkin. No, I'll just use this. No, don't use that. That's like an eyeglass cleaner. No, I'll... Just use another part of it. Sorry. Oh, my I'm God. Even, That's why even, we don't have anything nice. That's why this house is a shit hole. Because I opened up one beer? Because of shit like that. I opened I'll one beer. just use this somebody's eyeglass cleaner and clean the beer off the keyboard <laughs> and then throw it back down. Throw it? That's I why this place is a shithole. Hey, I tossed it gently. No. This, is our, this is our podcast studio. I'm talking about the house. Okay. Um... Anyway, Ohio Players Fire is currently uses the theme song to the Fox reality series Hell's Kitchen. Okay. And Stevie Wonder listened to this song before it was released and was like, this is going to be a hit, brothers. And it was. And then February 15, 1975, Linda Romstadt takes over the number one 
Linda Ronstadt, sorry. Yeah. Takes over the number one uh, spot on the Billboard charts. Do you know what song? You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're, you're no, no good. good. Here's another we'll trivia question for you. Again. Is this originally her song? No. No. Who originally sang it? Don't know. Oh, geez. What? I said, oh, geez. Oh. It was originally recorded, performed by D.D. Warwick for Jubilee Records in 1963. I wonder if that's, she's related to Dionne Warwick. I think she is. And it has been covered by many artists, including, yeah, Dee Dee is the one, I think, who, she had something to do with the Whitney Houston documentary or whatever that came out or something. Oh, really? Um, oh. What? I hope she's not the one. There was like these allegations that came out that one of uh, Whitney Houston's aunts molested her. And I think it was Dee Dee Warwick. What? Yeah. I didn't hear that. Yeah, because I remember thinking, Dion Warwick? And I'm like, no, Dee Dee, not Dion. Yeah. And you didn't hear that whole thing about... No. Yeah. So Whitney Houston was molested by an aunt? How did they find that out? Well, like, they found a diary or something. Hold on. Whitney Houston... I think it was the, the Bobby Brown story. Maybe it was in there. Whitney Houston doctor alleges she was molested by her cousin. And Dee Dee Warwick. Dee Dee Warwick. Yeah. Oh my Dee Dee Warwick. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh my gosh. And Dee Dee Warwick denies it. And so she originally sang, You're no good. You're no <laughs> good. Okay. No well, she's interesting. molesting Whitney Houston. Yeah. I mean, that's allegedly. So we don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So I don't it's know. so unusual to hear about women doing that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Rest in peace, Whitney. Um, she had a tragic life. She did. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of other stuff about that song. Andrew Gold, the guy who made the Golden Girls theme song, mm-hmm. he played drums on that, I think. That's fascinating. Can we move on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow. <laughs> February 22nd, 1975, the average white band takes over the Billboard chart with an instrumental. Pick up the pieces. Yep. Now, I feel like I know that song from something. What do I know that from? I don't know. I know it from all of my disco compilations. Like, CDs do they just play it? They just play it on all the disco things. Like, mm-hmm. is it, I feel like it's a theme to it the show. It could be. But I looked it up online. I didn't. Nothing rang a bell. But I, I had just, a bunch of disco CDs, and it was on there. I feel like it was on a movie soundtrack or something. Maybe, maybe Pulp Fiction or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Listeners, if you uh, know what Average White Band pick up the pieces, like what it's from, like what, why would I know? It's like a prominent song that I feel like I like hear. Like in a, a movie lot. that you... In a movie or a TV show or somewhere. I mean, maybe they just use it a lot in 70s. Yeah, they shows, could. Like Boogie Nights or something. I don't know. But it sounds really, really well known. I mean, I guess they played it a lot. Because it was only number one from February 22nd to February 28th. And then oh, March first the eagles took over the next day with uh you get the best of my love the best of my love you the get best the best of, of my love i was how deep oh, is you sweet darling you know who wrote this glenn fry nope don henley duh, duh. <laughs> he pretty much had a 50 50 i know and I don't know the difference between Don Holly and Glenn Fry. No, I don't either. And Steve Winwood, and who's the other one? <laughs> Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. Was Bruce Hornsby in the Eagles too? I think. And no. Steve Winwood. I don't know. <laughs> They're all the same guy to me. I <laughs> no. 
Any of them. And Glenn Campbell. No, Glenn Campbell's not. He's a country guy. Um, anyway, it was written by Don Henley, Glenn Fry. Oh, you were kind of right. It was written by Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and J.D. Souther. I'm sorry. So Don there Henley's you go. Just first, so you were kind of right. But Henley sang lead vocals, and Glenn Fry recalled, I was playing acoustic guitar one afternoon in Laurel Canyon, and I was trying to figure out a tuning that Joni Mitchell had shown me a couple days earlier. I got lost and ended up with the guitar stuck up my ass. No. <laughs> no. You make it so I got lost and ended up with a guitar tuning for <laughs> what would later turn out to be the best of my love. And according to Don Henley, the lyric, much of the lyrics were written while in a booth in Dan Tana's restaurant close to the Troubadour. Okay. The major D of the Dantana, Guido, was thanked in the liner notes of the album. <laughs> the well, major D, but not the waiter? Or did you say the major D and the waiter? The major D. Oh, okay. The lyrics were inspired in part by Henley's breakup with then girlfriend Susanna Martin, who went on to murder 10 people. No, that's not. You're making some she shit might up have. now. Susanna Martin might have. No, she didn't do that. She probably just settled down, had a nice family, and probably tells everybody, you know, I used to date Don Henley. She probably does. A real gross wiener. All right. <laughs> he had three balls. His scrotum was really long and weird. <laughs> she probably tells me. She that. probably does. Yeah, well, she's working with him. You know, I know Don Helling. His scrotum looks like. Sunday, March 8, 1975. Olivia Newton John takes over the Billboard chart with the worst song ever. Have you never been mellow? <sighs> Just when you think Have Olivia Newton John can't get any worse. I'm sure she's a nice guy. I love her. She's probably a very sweet person. She, I want to say she, like. Music is awful. It had a thing where her, like, husband disappeared. Oh, yeah, she probably murdered him. Yeah, he did. Her husband disappeared. Really? She murdered her husband? No. What year did that happen? Why didn't we cover that? I don't know. It was in the 2000s, I think. No. I think. Whitney Houston, uh, Olivia Newton-John's husband. Check it, babe. No, I think her husband just died. No, I think he disappeared. John Easterling? Yeah, I think. Just Google wants to know his age. Olivia Newton-John's former boyfriend found him in Mexico. Oh, they found him? After going... Missing. Missing 12 years ago. Huh. It was her boyfriend. Well... You know, she's probably singing all those terrible songs. I would disappear, too, if I, she sang, if I had to listen to any of those goddamn songs. I didn't know they found him. Oh, God. I want to disappear just because you like those songs. I don't like them anymore. When I was a kid, I did. Well, that's the only thing keeping me from disappearing for 12 years in Mexico. Okay. So, there you go. Tuesday, March 11th, mm-hmm. 1975. Lynette Squeaky Fromm confronted Danny Goldberg. Who was okay. the publicist for English rock band Led Zeppelin? Yeah, which was performing concerts in the U.S. as part of its North American concert tour. She said she had to see Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page because she had foreseen something evil in his future and thought it might happen that night during the band's concert at the Long Beach Arena. She swore that the last time this had happened, she had seen someone shot to death before her very eyes. Goldberg persuaded her to write a long note to Page. After which, when she left, the note was burned, and he never gave it to Jimmy Page. Oh, boom. boom. And later, Squeaky Fromm said, well, that's why um, Robert Plant had a stroke or he had some kind oh, of really? accident, car accident, or some something happened to Robert Plant. She said, it was because of that. That's what, that's yeah. what she was trying <laughs> to warn what, him apparently, of. Apparently, yeah. And then Thursday, March 13th, 1975, mm-hmm. the 
the fifth top grossing movie came out, Shampoo. Oh, God, this looked bad. Yeah, we looked, watched the preview for this. I I don't never never heard of this, ever, I don't think. Shampoo? Yeah. With uh, Warren Beatty. Starring Warren Beatty as a hairdresser who bangs all the women in Hollywood, I guess. Yeah, Julie Christie and Goldie Hawn. Yeah, so he was actually dating Julie Christie. Oh, he was? At the time, but he was banging Goldie Hawn. In, in real life? Yeah, in real life. Um, yeah, this the the tagline of this movie is "Lovers Undo a Hairdresser from Beverly Hills Around Election Eve, 1968." This was Carrie Fisher's screen debut, but Lee Grant claimed in her 2014 autobiography that everybody knew Goldie Hawn and Warren Beatty were, Beatty were sleeping together, and Ned Beatty too, even though he was still involved with Julie Christie. Was Ned Beatty in it too? <laughs> no, no. Oh, you're no, making like, the, making. I'm up. just pretending that Warren and Ned Beatty were both banging Goldie Hawn. <laughs> Gross. Uh, even though he was, yeah, he was still involved with Julie Christie. The lead character was ba- actually based, though, on actual hairdressers, Jay Sebring and John Peters. Well, Jay Sebring's the one who got murdered at the the Manson murder. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's tied into that last Manson thing. Yeah. With squeaky from. Wow. Is That's it from or from? From. 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 Can I say from? Some people say squeaky from. Good. Then I'm going to keep saying it. F-R-O-M-M-E would... I think it would be from. Nah, it should be from. I think you're wrong. There would be one M if it was from. Right? Maybe. I don't know. Carrie Fisher's debut. Anyway, that movie looked terrible. It did. And dumb. And Warren Beatty and Ned Beatty are the same person. It's always funny. They are brothers, right? It's always funny to hear when celebrities are really fucking, and they're in a movie together. Yeah, they're like you do. Sex. You kind of want to watch it just to see if you can tell. Yeah, were they really banging each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay, and then Saturday, March fifteenth, nineteen seventy-five, the Doobie Brothers take over the Billboard chart with possibly the greatest song in all of American history. Oh, old black water. Old black pile. Keep on from. Keep on shining on me. That's a great song. Gotta hear that funky mix and lamp and mama gonna take me by the hand. Oh, God, I love that song. It's really good. Yeah. Whenever that song comes on, you know what I do? Uh, I don't want to know. You want to guess? You take your shirt off in the Prius. No, this song's so great. I take my pants off. Oh. I put my butt out the window. Yeah. While I'm driving. Yeah. And I just rock out to it all. That's a picture. Yeah. Picture and a half right there. While I'm driving, I put like one foot on the gas. My butt's out the window. I'm kind of driving, looking under my arm. But I'm like, yeah, that song's great. That's how you do when you like something. It is. Isn't it? Maybe it's not. Maybe that's not what I do. I don't think it is. I do like that song, though. Mm-hmm. It's a great song. It I is mean, a great song. Yeah, they. Um, it was actually supposed to be a B side. They didn't think it was that good. Really, because it was a, uh, acoustic. Yeah. Uh, it was just a little riff. It was acoustic at first. Or no, that's a different song. I read something was going to be a B side. It was acoustic. Um, Are you making up? I this think it is podcast? acoustic. It's not. A, it's not. Isn't it all acoustic? Patrick Simmons on lead vocals. I was said I was sitting on out in the studio waiting between takes, and I played that part. The, I guess the main riff. I guess Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I heard the talk back go on, and producer Ted Templeman says, "What is that?" And I said, "Is this a little riff that I came up with that I've been tweaking with?" He goes, "I love that." 
Who was Don McAllister? You really should write a song using that riff. Simmons would com- complete Blackwater during a subsequent Doobie Brothers sojourn in New Orleans. Ooh. A lifelong aficionado of Del- Delta Blues, Simmons had first visited New Orleans for the 1971 Doobie Brothers gig. For a 1971 Doobie, Doobie Brothers gig. Mm-hmm. When I got down there, was everything I had hoped it would be. The way of life and vibe really connected with me and the roots of my music. Everybody's drunk, everybody's naked, and nobody's in charge. That's your tagline for New yep, Orleans. It is. Then Wednesday, March 19th, 1975, the role of the pinball wizard in the Who's 1975 rock opera Tommy mm-hmm. was initially offered to Rod Stewart. Oh, was it really? He turned it down on the advice of a friend. Because Rod Stewart recorded... Uh, or played that part in a play, like they did a live play oh, really? version, and Rod Stewart played it there. Um, but he turned down the role because uh, due to the advice of a friend. Oh, that that was... friend? Yeah. Elton John, because he wanted the role for himself. So did Elton John? Be, what, did Elton he play? John took it, yeah. Oh, did he? Did you ever see this rock opera? No. It looks cool. Really? Like I, I watched a preview of it, and you could see Elton John in it and stuff, and it... It looks pretty cool. Roger Daltrey looks just like Carrie Von Eric. Yeah. I don't know who Carrie Von Eric is. It's weird because um um who's in this with him? Um anyway, Roger Daltrey is is only like he's like a year younger than the person who plays his mom. Mm-hmm. Anne Margaret, I think. Does that make sense? Would it be Anne Margaret? Maybe. Yeah. I can't remember. I think it's Anne Margaret. Okay, moving on. Anyway, that looks cool. It looks really funky and crazy and out there and cool. I don't. Uh, maybe it was terrible. I've never seen that, so I'm, I'm going to watch it. All right. I'm going to figure out where to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Saturday, March 22nd, 1975, Frankie Valley takes over the number one spot on um, the Billboard charts. I don't know it. You sang it the other day when we watched this, My Eyes Adored You. My Eyes Adored You. How much I adore you. Yeah. I don't like it. No, it's not good. It's an it's a nineteen seventy four song written by Bob Crew and Kenny Nolan. It was originally recorded for the four uh, by the four seasons in early seventy four, but after the Motown label balked at the idea of releasing it, the recording was sold to lead singer Frankie Valley for four thousand dollars. Okay. And then Monday, March 24th, 1975, Alex Mitchell mm-hmm. from Kings Lynn. Oh, listen to this. Wait. Wait, should we take a little break before you get into this? Oh, no, this isn't the exciting one. No, never mind. This is just a quick one. Um, Alex Mitchell from Kings Lynn, England, died laughing while watching the Kung Fu Capers episode of The Goodies. What? Wait a minute. This is a British show, but a guy actually died laughing. He died laughing? Yeah, this is the show called The Goodies, <sighs> and it featured a kilt clad Scotsman with his bagpipes battling a master of the Lancastrian martial art, Ecky Thump, who was armed with a, a black pudding. None of that makes any sense at all, what you just said. I, it's British. What is going Nothing on? Nothing British makes sense. After 25 minutes of continuous laughter, Mitchell finally slumped on the sofa and died from heart failure. That's how I want to go. His, his widow later sent the goodies a letter thanking them for making Mitchell's final moments of life so pleasant. But fast forward to 2012. Yeah, the guy's granddaughter mm-hmm. uh, had some crazy thing, or she died of cardiac arrest suddenly, over and not laughing and stuff. So it was a it was a whole condition oh, that they had. Yeah. so it was just a thing. Saturday, March 29th, 1975. Lady Marmalade becomes oh, number one a great song, song by Labelle. 
that song it's great and it's it's written by bob crew and kenny nolan again mm -hmm. same guys who wrote uh frankie valley my eyes adored you mm -hmm. uh, but this song yes sorry i had to take a big slide. i know it's delicious, I can hear it. it's so delicious this song is famous for its sexually suggestive chorus voulez-vous coucher avec moi mm -hmm. Which translate into English as... Would you like to sleep with me tonight? Oh, did you know that? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to sleep with me tonight? You knew that. I didn't know that. You know who else didn't know that? Who? Patti LaBelle. Oh, she did not. She recorded that. She had no idea what she was saying. Huh. <clears throat> um, she's, she was completely oblivious to its overall message saying, I didn't know what it was about. I don't know French, and nobody, I swear to God, this is God's truth. Nobody at all told me what I just sung a song about. Isn't that crazy? She's a song about a prostitute. Yeah, she had no idea. That's, that's but there, what she was But the about. English words are very obviously about a prostitute. <laughs> well, <laughs> well she, she didn't know that, I Okay. Guess. Uh, okay. Maybe she wasn't paying attention to what she was saying. Yeah, maybe. More likely. I don't know. It's, um, a song, Bob Cruz... Uh, Bob Crew wrote this inspired by his experience in New Orleans and uh, with sex workers, seeing sex workers everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there you go. All right, there we go. Um, Anything else happened on yes. Saturday, March twenty ninth, nineteen seventy five? I, I have a have small a little story. It was you do. It was difficult finding three stories for say in nineteen seventy five. Now that we're stretching every epi yes. every year to three. I episodes. mean, believe it or not, there is there's a couple years. I believe it's seventy seven, seventy eight around that area yeah. where you can pick a day and you'll find one a famous serial killer. So, we, so you're saying we might have to stretch those years to like six, Something. seven, eight, nine episodes, yeah. ten episodes, twelve, thirty, thirty. Episodes. All right, all right. But anyway, oh. so, but this year was kind of slim pickings. All right. So with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to go back a little bit. Okay. Uh, in time. You're going to back up? And talk about James Urban Ruppert. James Urban? Yeah. Urban, like U-R-B-A-N? Yep. Ruppert? Yes. I can't wait to hear about James Ruppert. He was born on March 29th, 1934. Oh, the 30s. His early life was sad and abusive. His mother, Charity, often called him a mistake because she had wanted a daughter. Oh, poor James Ruppert. I know. His father, Leonard, was a violent man with a quick temper and little time or affection for his two sons. Leonard Ruppert was a fucking asshole. Yes. He died in 1947 when James was 12 and his brother, oh, Leonard Jr., was 14. He, oh, he wasn't Leonard. missed. Oh, he wasn't missed. Nobody no. gave a shit about that guy. Nope. Man. Leonard Jr. became the head of the family, and according to James, picked, out, picked on him incessantly. Yeah, that would happen. James yeah. did poorly in school, had few friends, and was always smaller than his brother. Oh, poor fella. As an adult, he was only 5 foot 6 inches and weighed 135 pounds. Oh, little guy. At 16, James was so unhappy of home that he attempted suicide by hanging himself with a sheet. Oh. He failed and resigned himself to an unremarkable life. Oh. The end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he just, um, there you go. He didn't kill himself, you know, and the rest happened. of his life was unremarkable. As, as he got older, his... He just watched Miami Vice. Yep. He died of a heart He was a big a Don Johnson fan. 2004. One time got an autograph of from Tubbs. That's right, he did. It was that's his it. highlight of his life. And that's all he did. As he got older, his resentment for his brother grew. James flunked out of college after two years, while Leonard earned a degree in electrical engineering and excelled in sports. That smug prick and his electrical engineering degree and his damn 
college sports. To make matters worse, Leonard married one of the few girlfriends James had ever had, God, with whom girlfriend. he had eight children. My one girlfriend. You got, <laughs> I know. You got to bang her so many times she has eight kids. Like, yeah. I got one girlfriend in my life. You already got your college lacrosse and your college billiards team and then he, everything's going great for you got your stupid degree and then you got to bang the one girl that i dated right and have eight kids with her yep. like it's not it's not enough to have five kids six kids no you gotta have eight of them we're having another kid hey guess what i'm having another kid with the with your girlfriend i'm, yeah. having, a, I'm having an eighth kid with your girlfriend that's <laughs> probably what's going on Le Leonard had a great job with general electric where james at age 41 was unemployed and living with his mother that's um that's a whole category on Tinder. Yeah, it is. I think it is. From whom? Um, wait a minute. On top of it all, James owed money to his wife and brother, from whom he had borrowed large sums after losing what he had in the stock market crash of 1973 to 1974. Ooh, stock market crash. Charity was frustrated with his inability to keep a job and his constant drinking. Wait, and who was? His mom. Oh, his mom's name was Charity? Yeah, oh, and boy. she threatened to evict him. The threat seems to have been what finally set James over the edge. Oh, this, you know what? He's got all the classic signs of yeah. a crazy guy who's going to murder everyone. That's right. You know, he's living at home. He's, his brother banged his girlfriend eight times. Yep, he's a loser with kids, a capital L. Can't get a degree. Lost all his money. Like, poor guy. I know. Nothing, Nothing goes good his for mom, this Mom's fella. a harpy. His mom wanted him to be a girl and yelled at him. What yeah. about the other boys? Like, she didn't yell at them? I know. Not just girl? him. Jeez, poor Rupert. On March 29th, James's birthday, mm -hmm. witnesses later reported seeing him shooting at cans with a three fifty seven oh. magma uh, Magnum along the banks of the Great Ma Miami River in Hamilton. Well, it's your birthday. What else are you going to do? I don't know anybody who doesn't shoot cans, shoot off, cans the highway. On the, off the highway on their birthday. He went out later that night and at the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge. Ooh, the 19th Hole. It's a classy establishment. Sounds like a cool place. Yep. He talked with employee Wanda Bishop. She oh, later Wanda. recalled that James seemed dis deeply depressed and talked about his mother's demands on him and he and her threatened eviction. What do you think Wanda Bishop looks like? Hot. What do you think? What size bra do you think? Triple D. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, she's a big woman. Wanda Bishop. He said that he needed to solve the problem. Quote. That's what he told Wanda? Uh-huh. He left the bar at 11 p.m. that night and later returned. When asked if he had solved his problem, he replied, no, not yet. He huh. stayed until the bar closed at 2.30 a.m. On Easter Sunday, March 30th. Oh, Easter Sunday. So wait a minute. On that 29th when he was he was spotted shooting yep. Uh, cans? Yep. Um, that was the same time that uh, uh, on the Jeffersons, two last-minute invitations collide. George invites business magnate Coleman Harris mm -hmm. to dinner on the same night that Louise invites their earthy former neighbors Roy and Natalie Sims. And <laughs> what's going to happen? I don't know. And then here on Sunday, March 30th, mm -hmm. what's, whatever's about to happen is the same time Midnight Special was on TV. It was a special episode where J.J. Jackson interviewed Led Zeppelin. I don't know what any of that is. I mean, I know what Led Zeppelin is, but... Well, he interviewed... Well, he really interviewed Robert Plant, but it was about Led Zeppelin. Okay. And it was hosted by Wolfman Jack. Oh, I remember him. Uh, yeah. And that's it. Okay, so on Easter Sunday, Leonard and his wife Alma brought their eight children, ranging in age from four to 17, to four see their to grandmother yeah. at the house on Minor Avenue. And that was the... Where the, James lives. The one who made him feel bad, yes. Rupert, about being a boy. Yep. 
James stayed upstairs, sleeping off his night of drinking, while the children enjoyed an Easter egg hunt in the front yard. Oh, next Easter. Nice family Easter in 1975. Nothing bad will happen. Nothing bad's getting ready to go down. I hope nothing bad happens. Afterwards, they came inside, and while Charity, Oma, and Leonard finished lunch preparations, the children played in the living room. And we're getting the ham ready, kids. You just play. We're going to get the ham ready. No Cadbury eggs until later. (laughs) Nothing bad's going to happen. Rupert was awakened from his drunken stupor around 4 p.m., probably by the noise downstairs. And he was probably like, man, tonight I'm going to watch McCloud starring Dennis Weaver. It's the second Alamo episode. I can't wait to watch that, so I need quiet downstairs. Charity Rupert had decided to make Sloppy Joes for supper because the kids liked them. Oh, that makes sense for Easter. When James came downstairs, he engaged in small talk with his brother and looked on as his nieces and nephews ate their eggs and candy. Then he announced he he was going target shooting. Went upstairs, and when he came down again, he was carrying a three fifty seven Magnum, two twenty two pistols, and an 18-shot rifle. Happy friggin' Easter. Yep. As he passed through the kitchen, he leaned the rifle against the refrigerator when Leonard, with what James considered a mocking smile, asked, How's your Volkswagen, Jimmy? Oh, because his Volkswagen was shitty. Well, later, Broken. Robert told psychiatrists he had suspected for several months that Leonard was attempting to sabotage his Volkswagen. He was convinced his brother had purposely destroyed the carburetor and distributor, did something to the windshield wipers, loosened the bumper, and blown holes in the muffler. As if banging his girlfriend eight times isn't enough. As a, as a result, so the psychiatrist said, Leonard's innocuous question brought forth a surge of thoughts, memories, fantasies about how his brother had been treating him since childhood. Oh, in his flashback. Yep, it was his, just a... An, a moment of rage. Yep. In his muddled mind, Rupert thought he was being mocked and reflectively, according to the shrinks, began shooting to make certain Leonard would never hurt him again. Oh, man. So he shot and killed Leonard, Alma, and Charity. Whoa. His nephew, David, and his nieces, Therese and Carol, were also in the kitchen. Oh, no. He killed them, too. Oh. James then Therese rushed into Carol. the living room where he killed his niece, Anne, and his four remaining nephews, Leonard the Third, Michael, Thomas, and John. He killed each of his victims by first taking a disabling shot and then finishing them off with a shot to the head or heart. The massacre took less than five minutes to complete. I guess at least it was quick. Yeah. When it was over, Rupert remained in the blood-drenched house in which lay 11 gruesome corpses for at least three hours before calling police and claiming there's been a shooting here. You know he ate those sloppy joes and all their Easter candy. Yep. When they arrived, he was waiting for them just inside the front door. The police described the scene as a slaughterhouse. There was so much blood splashed about that it was dripping through the floorboards into the basement. To this day, stains can still be seen on the wood. But on the wood, by way of explanation, Rupert told officers, "My mother drove me crazy by always combing, combing my hair, <laughs> talked to me like I was a baby, and tried to make me into a homosexual." <laughs> what? <laughs> that part was left out. Yep. Combing his hair. Yeah, his mom combed his hair. The murders shocked the small community and made headlines across the country. Those who knew James never believed that he was capable of such violence. He was a quiet, unassuming man and the perfect neighbor. Wait, when you said uh, the bloodstains are still visible to this day, is, are you, is there like a museum? I don't know. Go visit, I'm, go visit actually, the house where people live there? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Ten years before the shootings, the Hamilton police determined that Ruppert had made an obscene telephone call to an employee at the local library. Where he spent well, a lot of time. Who hasn't done that? When two questioned, or three times. Robert admitted making the call and told police his mother and brother were attempting to discredit him, insisting they had told the FBI that he was a communist and a homosexual. 
Their report, he claimed, had prompted the agency to tap his home telephone, as well as telephones in the bars and restaurants he frequented. Mm. His paranoia escalated over the years, and by 1975, he believed he was being followed by both private detectives and law enforcement personnel. Perhaps it was these assumptions that triggered his fascination for firearms. He felt he needed to protect himself protect against himself them. himself from these people all following him and listening to yeah. him. His defense attorney appropriated these delusions to prove his client was insane at the time he killed his family. But there were others that maintained Ruppert's motive was nothing more than pure greed. His mother and brother, they said, had a substantial sum in savings, life insurance, real estate, and investments, and Jimmy wanted it. Well, no. Murdering everybody's not going to get it to you. I mean, you're... Like he would have tried to secretly murder them if that was the case. That's right. And and I think there's a whole thing here about this homosexuality obsession. Like yeah. this whole she's trying to make me one. They think I'm a communist homosexual. Like he probably was just gay. Right. And it was so frowned upon or secret then yep. that he couldn't find anybody to support him probably. One well, of his mom's combing his hair. Yeah. Where did this happen? Uh Ohio. Ohio? Yeah. What part of Ohio? Well, the trial comes up, and it's in Finley, Ohio, actually. Finley, Ohio? Yeah. That's real close to where I'm from. I know. And why didn't I hear about this? His mom's combing his hair, but that doesn't have anything to do with yeah. anything, except that that's weird. Um, prosecutor John Holcomb believed them and argued that the defendant's actions were part of a, monster, a master plan to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of temporary insanity and be uh, sent to Lima, the state oh, mental hospital. Okay, yeah, then he'll get out and get all the money. Eventually okay. be declared sane and then walk out with $300,000. You know, Lima, just to interject here, Lima is the home of Cupy's Hamburgers. If you ever find yourself in Lima, there's really nothing else to do but go to Cupy's Hamburgers. There's still Cupy's. three locations, I believe. They used to be all over Ohio. We used to have them growing up, and they were the best burgers and fries oh, and yeah. malts. Cupy's was the best. However... The one, the couple remaining Cupies mm -hmm. are kind of weird. There's one where they have a creepy Cupie doll, mm -hmm. like, drilled to the wall. That oh, that's weird. But it's still, like, left over from, like, the 70s. Like, it's still all the 70s decor. Yeah. But it's still, like, all na it's like all natural food. Like, the cheese is natural. Oh. The burger, maybe it's not, but it tastes like real food. Real delicious food. Yeah. And it's awesome. So go to Cupies Hamburgers. It's awesome. Okay. Shout out, um, QPs. Under Ohio law, Ruppert could not have inherited if found guilty of murder, but if deemed insane at the time of his crimes, he could get it all. James was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He refused to answer any questions and was very uncooperative. He huh. made it clear that he planned to offer an insanity defense. Prosecutors believed that he planned to plead insanity and then, after being cured, would be released in to inherit the $300,000. I already said that. Come on, big money, big money. The or original trial was held in Hamilton. A three-judge panel found James guilty of 11 counts of murder and sentenced him to life in prison. A mistrial was declared, and a second trial was held in Finley, Ohio, about 125 miles north, since it was decided that James could not get a fair trial in his hometown. Hometown of? Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton, Ohio. You said that, yeah. The second trial began in June 1975, and prosecutors offered new evidence about James's target shooting and statements about solving his problem. In July, he received a new sentence of 11 consecutive life sentences in prison. James appealed, and a new trial was granted in 1982. Wow. Defense attorney Hugh G. Holbrook convicted as convinced... Hugh G. No, wait, Hugh D. Sorry. Oh, I was hoping it was Hugh Jass. Hugh G. Rection. Hugh G. Rection. Hugh G. Rection. Convinced his client he was insane. Personally funded the hiring... Sorry. Hold on. Personally funded the hire of an expert psychiatrist from all over the country. 
On July 23rd, another three-judge panel could... Um, oh, sorry, it was autocorrect. Another three-judge panel July found 23rd, James 1975? guilty of two counts of first-degree murder. July 23rd, 1975? Yes. They found him guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, his mother and his brother. But not insane. But not guilty of the other nine counts by reason you, of insanity. I mean, they found him guilty the same day Ryan's Hope was on. Oh, I remember that. And the same day Tattletales, the game show, was on. I do you know, not remember that. You know what Tattletales was? No. Quick synopsis. Three celebrity couples were panelists. Larry Coates and Connie Van Dyke, Dick Gaudier and Barbara Stewart, and William Shatner and Marcy Lafferty. First, either the wives or husbands would go off stage and wear headphones, and their spouses would remain on so stage. So celebrity couples? Yeah, celebrity oh. couples. And their spouses would remain on stage, and via closed-circuit TV, the sequestered spouses would be asked a question about marriage, sex, or other embarrassing questions. They'd be left to ponder it. Their onstage spouse would then answer how they thought their spouse would reply. Oh. One by one, they were asked their answer. After all three answered, the ones who got it right won a share of $150. That's like the newlywed game, kind of. After two questions, the spouses changed places for two more questions, the last being a $300 question. At the end, the couple with the most money won an extra $1,000. The pot was then split amongst a third of the studio audience in front of them. Okay. I didn't know that existed. I never, yeah, that's a new one on me. And William Shatner was on it. Okay, so they found him... Guilty of the first two murders, but not guilty by reason of insanity for the other nine. Oh, while William Shatner was on that show. Between 1972 and 1976, the death penalty had been suspended in the United States as a result of a pending U.S. Supreme Court decision. So James could not be sentenced to death for his crimes. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg was only 14 at the time. Or no, she was... She was a lot older She was than 71 that. at the time. Probably. <laughs> no, I ruined that joke. You did. James Ruppert remains incarcerated today in oh, Allen Oakwood Correctional Institute in Lima, Ohio. He's still alive? Yep. He was granted his first parole board hearing in 1995, but his release was denied. If I'm not mistaken, that correctional facility is right down the street from a Cupies. It probably is. Um, his latest attempt at parole was also denied. There's a very good chance he will die behind bars. Oh. In the wake of the murders, the 11 victims were buried in the Arlington Memorial Gardens in Cincinnati. A year later, the house in Minor Avenue was open to the public and all the contents were sold at auction. It was cleaned up, carpets were placed over the bloodstains that could not be removed, and it was rented out to a family that was new to the area and had no idea of the horrifying events that occurred there. Oh. They quickly moved out. Yeah, I bet. After leaving the house... They claimed to hear voices and strange noises that they couldn't explain. Lights Ghosts. turned on and off, doors slammed, and thudding footsteps were often heard coming down the stairs. All those people died, those kids, their yes. ghosts are there. They were not the last to move in and quickly leave. A number of other families moved in and out of the house, and none stayed for long. Whoa. All of them reported sounds and voices that could not be explained. What? The house was abandoned for several years, but the last family that moved in reported nothing out of the ordinary. Whatever eerie haunting that had plagued the previous tenants was over at last. Perhaps the echo of the shocking events of 1975, which seemed to leave an indelible mark on the house, had finally faded away. And perhaps after more than 40 years, the spirits of the Ruppert family can finally rest in peace. Oh, that was a very good story. Wrapped up with a little bow. You like that story? No, I bet. Even though the fact that it's sad. That I like he, that there was a haunting in it. Yeah, there was a haunting in it, too. That had everything. That had oh, everything. Good. It had the ghosts. It had the horrible murders that you write. It didn't even have any rapes. No rapes, there honey. zero rapes. Honey, no rapes. That was that like one. a great, you were just saying that was a terrible story at the beginning. It was a great story. Oh, no good. rape, ghosts, and brutal murders that you love. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, I'm thinking it's sad that he's going to die in prison alone, but he's probably got a hundred women that go and yeah, do conjugal wanna, visits. They want to marry him. Yeah, because if it made it the papers, yeah, women want to marry him. Oh. Remember? You think gay guys do that too? Mm, crazy gay guys? I don't think. You never hear about he'd crazy be happy, gay guys. He'd be happy in a prison if he was gay. We're on a bunch of men. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he wouldn't need to have conjugal visits. Well, yeah, but maybe not the men he wants. Like just because you're gay doesn't mean you want. No, I understand that, but you got a a pretty good selection in there. That's true. So he's probably happy behind bars. But maybe he's not gay. I'm pretty sure that's. That's probably the crux of his problem. You see a a frustrated, closeted gay, and well, it just kept mentioning you can't keep them under. They think I'm a gay communist. Like, is it the communist thing? Yeah, that's the gay thing. Yeah, like what? It is. Nobody cares about your communism. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is that? I think that is where we got to wrap it up. 1975 was a crazy year. We've already got crazy stuff. We're going to leave it at that. Uh, that was good. That was a great story. Good. Okay. had everything and no rape. Thank you yes. for keeping the rape out of it. Or try. maybe you edited it out. I don't care. Just we don't. There was no rape. There's enough rape in the world. Yeah. There was no rape ever. No rape. Good. No raping. Okay. Although, you don't know what he did with those bodies. Thank you for hours. listening. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yeah, Please I love rate, you Please rate, review, all. subscribe. And, and, uh, yeah, and just so you know, Matt Truman sings the intro song to this uh, yes. podcast and the outro song. And uh, thank you guys all for listening. There's some of you that have listened to all of them. Thank you. You yeah. guys are fucking awesome. We really, really, really like you guys. Yeah, we love thank you, you so, so, so much. Uh, we will repay you uh, mightily. Uh, hugs. <laughs> oh, you don't know the hugs you're going to get. The 30-second hugs. The shirtless hugs. Shirtless hugs, high fives. Yep. Yep. I'll shave your back. I'll shave somebody's okay. back for them. All right. It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Oh, Chuck Berry's in there again. Better get out of here. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.